You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. John 15, and we are continuing the second half of John 15. We were in the first one through 17 last week, and we're in 18 this week. And this week, Jesus decides to once again pull no punches with his disciples. He needs them to understand before he is taken away and crucified the importance the importance of the words he's about to say. In fact, in uh, 16 verse 1, he says, I'm telling you all of this so that you won't go astray, right? We all know what that means, not to go astray, that you won't walk away from the faith. Because guys, it's about to get difficult. Remember when I told that rich guy that he had to give everything up to follow me? And you're like, oh my gosh, everything, he's really rich. This is going to be harder than that. Remember when I told that one guy that he couldn't bury his father? before he came with me, that I was more important? This is harder than that. Remember when I said that you have to hate mother, brother, sister, father, grandma, nana, all of it in my name? This is going to be harder than that. And we get to this section here where Jesus is going to explain to his disciples what they can expect going forward as his disciple and why they can expect it. And so that's where we're at today. It's sort of a hard-hitting message, and it's one that I find interesting um, in in today, in 2019, in a very modern Christian church in a modern Christian country. And so uh, let's preach it, right? Let's do it. Verse 16, chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, I would love you as its own. It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why it will hate you. Remember the words I spoke to you, that no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. Pay attention to that. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. Now, if I had come and spoken to them... If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But all of this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason." When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not go astray. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, Lord, what a message to be reminded of, to understand what it lays before us, to not be ignorant of it, surprised or confused but to know that it's part of what you called us out to. Help us to understand this concept today in Jesus' name. Amen. The world will hate you. It will hate you. You got that? Not dislike you, not disagree with you, not be offended by you. 
hate you, wish you were dead, not around. You're a nuisance. You're an inconvenience. Have you ever smelled rotting flesh or a dead animal or anything like that? Do you like that smell or do you hate that smell? You hate that smell. That smell is so disgusting. It makes you nauseous. It's gross. You hate it. If, if a person passes away in their home and they've been in there for a while, they have to completely deconstruct the entire interior of the home, spray any of the wood with uh, sort, all sorts of chemicals to kill the smell, and sometimes that won't even do it. We hate that smell. Well, in the Scripture it says that believers in Christ are an aroma unto the Father, that we are an aroma, a smell this pleasing aroma that our lives of service. And so that same aroma that to the Father, to the creator of the world and the universe, is a pleasing aroma, to an unbeliever, it is the, the, the most vile stench that we can think of. And I want you to picture this because Jesus is, is so adamant in his final words to his disciples to remind them, guys, this is not going to be easy. I've spoken of this throughout my three years of ministry, but I'm telling you now that they're going to hate you. That they're going to hate you, and here's why they're going to hate you. And I don't want you to be discouraged by it. I don't want you to hate them in return. I want you to love them in return, actually. I don't want you to take offense for how they treat you. In fact, I'd rather you serve them and love them. They're going to kill you. They're going to burn you at the stake. They're going to put you in their coliseums. And I don't want you to repay what they have done to you back onto them. I don't know if you remember, but the writer of Hebrews reminds the Christians in Hebrews 10, 32 through 34, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecutions. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. This concept is all but completely lost on the modern church. The idea that we would suffer for our faith is not something that many of us have ever done we have been disliked, we have been offended, we have been annoying. But I wouldn't say that most of us have felt the full wrath of hatred come upon us for our belief. Now, you may have had a moment, or you may have had somebody who, again, did not like you because of your views on certain social issues, and so maybe they used the word, I hated you. But they didn't actually hate you. They used a slang term to say, I dislike you. You see, because what hate breeds is death. That's the purpose. What hate breeds is death, and it involves change, and it involves action when you hate something. And so when Christ is saying, you will be hated, what we see in the early church is we see that all of these people that the disciples would begin to speak to as they would come to Christ in the thousands and the tens of thousands, they got this concept somehow. 
And we know they got this concept because they began to take in the terminally ill, the contagious, and the sickest people in Rome and the surrounding areas, and they begin to nurse them back to life and tell them of who Jesus Christ was. And when the person said, why are you doing this? They would tell them because Jesus is Lord and his light has shone into my life. And I can't help but do this. This is just who I am now. Do you want to know about him? They were being burned. They were being beheaded. They were being thrown into the Colosseum and torn apart by animals in front of their family. And they continued to love him and serve him and would not renounce him. Do you think that this concept that I'm reading today was a central part of the Christian faith? What do you think? Do you think that the early Christians understood what it meant to be hated for what they believed? What do you think? Yes. So if you were the devil and you wanted to get an entire generation of tens of millions of professing Christians to fall away from who God is, what do you do? Do you get them to sin? Do you get them tied up in temptation and addiction? Sure, those things are all good. Or do you lull them into a false sense of security and apathy that they're not hated? That actually some of our biggest, most amazing personalities, well, they're liked by the media. We've got pastors that have millions of followers, and even unbelievers follow them because you know what? They're just so darn motivational. Jesus is such a great motivational speaker. Really? He told you to eat his flesh and drink his blood. When's the last time you heard Tony Robbins give you that? When's the last time he told you to hate your mother and father? He's not a motivational speaker. He's not even a good teacher. He's not even a good, like, prophet or or somebody who would come along and teach morals. He didn't want to be any of those things. He never claimed to be any of those things. No, he tells us why we're going to be hated. He says, keep in mind that you will be hated, and it will be because of my name. They will hate you solely because of the name of Jesus Christ, my name. You don't even have to do anything. They will hate you. I've talked with many, many people in my time in ministry who come to me and they're broken and they're hurt because people have slandered them and said things about them and it's destroying relationships and somebody at work and I remind them, I said, you know, they're not, you know, they're not mad at you, right? Well, sure they are. This is their complaint. No, they hate that you represent Jesus Christ. It could be any other religion and they could care less. But there's something about the name of Jesus which just incites worldwide hatred. There's also something about the name of Jesus which incites radical worldwide change, which we get to see both. And because we have a more connected world, we get to be more connected to the change and unfortunately the hate. Isn't it amazing that after 2,000 years, the tactics of the enemy haven't changed much when it comes to killing us? It's a lot of the same stuff. But here in America, he, he did sort of change his tactics in a way that we've never seen. I want you to hear this. This is so neat. The world has never seen a country like America and Christians like American Christians, where we are so well taken care of, so protected, and so lazy, and so apathetic, and so unconcerned about being hated by this world. In fact, we've turned it on its head to where we want to be liked. 
please like us? Never in the 2,000 years since Christ has been here, ever, 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 even under Constantine's rule, the Christians didn't have it this easy. I just want you to see it. I want you to look at it for a minute here this morning and realize how easy we have it as Christians. Because I have a very, very strong intuition that the ease for which we enjoy our Christian faith has a shelf life here in America. Have you noticed it? It's happened real slow. It's like hands coming in to choke. And it's real, real slow, and you don't feel anything yet. But when you can't speak the name of Jesus in a public school without a reprimand or an explanation of why you did it, when you can't speak it in the military, when you can't speak it at a political event, when you can't speak it in certain large corporations and openly talk about it, the noose is tightening. If you don't notice that, then you just need to look around a little bit and do some research. The noose is tightening. So I guess the question I have for us this morning is, what will we do, what will you do when you actually experience full-fledged hatred of you? I mean, you get to experience it solely because you follow Jesus Christ. What will you do? This is not a peppy Sunday morning message. Let me change it. I've got one here. Let's see, Song of Solomon, he talks about sex, it's fun, let's do that. <laughs> what will you do? What will you do when all of a sudden you are hated? I mean, we already see in social media, God bless social media, and we see all of the thoughts and the stuff around Christian teaching and values, and we see that they hate the values. They hate the old, antiquated, bigotry thoughts and ideas, right? But they don't hate you yet. You're not quite hated yet. They hate what we stand for. They hate the ideals. They hate that it's outdated, that we don't do sex before marriage and drugs and alcohol, and the Christians are the ones keeping everything conservative, and the idea of marriage and gender roles and abortion, and, and even right down to immigration, we're to blame for all of this old ideas, and we need to modernize, we need to evolve in our thinking. And, and the ideas are hated, but you haven't been hated yet. So what will we do? Well, first of all, we look and we ask this question, why would anybody hate a Christian? I mean, a true believer. I understand why they would hate the hypocrites. I understand why they would hate those pastors who would prey on the innocent and the weak and take their money, take their time, give them false promises, false hopes. I understand why you would hate a hypocrite. I understand why you would hate a church that professes to love the Lord and yet is one of the most hateful, vile churches you've ever seen. I get that. But I'm talking about a real a follower of Christ, somebody who says, my goal in life is to love my neighbor, is to literally love my next-door neighbor, love my coworker, show kindness to those who are mean to me, so if I am struck, I turn the other cheek. I mean, the ideals and the principles of what Christ is calling us to do, there is nothing there that you should rationally hate, is there? We weren't ever called to overthrow a government. We weren't ever called to make our own nation. We weren't ever called to fight back in a violent way and overtake areas on, in the name of the Lord. We've done all those things, by the way. Never were told to. Christ never called us to that. We were never told to split ourselves into so many denominations that we would confuse the snot out of people on what it actually means to love Jesus Christ. But we've done that as well. No, if you actually look at what it means to follow Jesus... 
That's not a person anyone would hate. That's a person everyone would love. A selfless, sacrificial, kind, helpful, loving person who has been transformed by the very God that they claim to worship and be in charge of their lives. I want to know about that, right? There's nothing to hate there. I mean, you couldn't hate anything about that. And yet, that is exactly what the early Christians were. Now, yes, the snakes and the wolves made it into the pen, and you can see that all through Paul's letters, right? Timothy's, you got to stop these people from doing this. James, be careful here. Titus, so we know that the snakes and the wolves have always tried to get in the back door, always tried to capitalize on the message of Christ and these weak Christians who turn the other cheek and won't fight back and just love everybody. But we know, we know that the impact that these men and women were having, that their lives were supernaturally changed. Right? Just as some of you in here, maybe hopefully many of you, have felt a supernatural change in your life, a pull, a direction towards something greater than yourself. Because Christ didn't ask you to make, become this person on your own. He didn't ask you to go to school. He didn't ask you to meditate and study and all of a sudden become a very loving person, a person who doesn't take offense. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will go with you and I send the paraclete, the advocate, my Holy Spirit, to go with you and interpret on your behalf and represent you on your behalf. And I will help and I will bring the change in your weakness. So we aren't asked to do this alone. We aren't asked to muster up the courage or the kindness. So if we're supposed to be a people of love, what has happened? In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, Paul wrote, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. The fragrance of the knowledge of him. So if the fragrance we're supposed to have is, is, is one that is of Christ and we know the character of Christ, why would anybody hate that? Well, the truth of the matter is Jesus tells us. And I had fun with this with uh, Pastor Chad this week, but let's go back here. Uh, verse 22, if we can throw it up on the screen. And if you want to turn to it. If I had not done among them, oh wait, whoops. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. In fact, if I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. So I walked out of my office. I said, hey, Chad, it says here in John 15, 22, if Christ had just not come, we wouldn't be guilty. Why didn't he just stay in heaven then? I wouldn't have to be guilty of my sin. He wouldn't have had to die on a cross. Could you explain this to me, oh, great theologian Chad? If, I, if he just hadn't come and done all those miracles, he says we wouldn't be guilty. Wait, what? What do you think, theologians? What does that mean, you wouldn't be guilty? So we'd all be innocent, even though we were in sin? And you also said that 
that when we are born, we already stand accused before an almighty God. So wait, what? Well, it's kind of like this. Imagine your life is like Monty Python, and you just play in the mud all day and build castles in it, and there's dung and mud, and that is the core and basis of your life. And that's all you know. And then all of a sudden comes along a wealthy king and says, hey, I've got something for you much greater than that. Let me show you. And introduces you to a life of education and living inside and clean and disease-free, and he gives you the cure to something that you didn't even realize was making you sick. That's a pretty good deal. But if you refuse that king after he's shown you everything and presented the cure to you, well, now it's your fault that you're in the mud. See, when Christ came to this earth, through the actions of Adam, we are born condemned. We stand condemned. We stand in the mud and the dung. And Christ said, I don't want that for you, and so I am coming, and I am giving my life so that you and the Father can be together once again. Here's the cure for the sickness that you have. It's free. You don't have to buy it. It's free if you'll take it. And here's the deal. Here's why people hate Christ in you and not you. Because when Christ did this, he exposes who we really are that we're not the nice people dressed in modest clothing, and we're not the well-done and, and made-up people and the smiles, that we're actually sinful, wretched people with thoughts and lies and things about us that we know that we have to justify even. And what he does is he exposes that. He sort of pulls the curtain back, doesn't he? On the cross, it literally says the curtain in the temple ripped in two. He pulls the curtain back and he exposes it. You ever had somebody in the morning rip open the curtain and the sun shines in on you? Like, <laughs> you hate it. Your eyes are all, it hurts your eyes. The sun, it burns. It burns your eyes. You, you don't like it. It's no fun. That's sort of what Christ did to sin in mankind. And what he's saying is, because I have exposed them to who they really are, and they have refused the cure, they are now guilty. And they don't like being guilty. No one likes to be shown their problems. You ever have a friend show you an area that you're struggling in, and, and they come to you in love and kindness and say, hey, this is a big area of your life you need to fix, and you're just like, well, shut up and get out. Good for you, right? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were so much better than me. And maybe you pick out something in their life they need to fix because you're a real special human being who does that to your friend. <laughs> right? We don't like it. Nobody likes it. Nobody says, thank you so much for pointing out this glaring error in my personality, the reason I can't make friends or keep friends. I'm so glad you did that. No, we, we've justified that part of us. So usually what we do, here, let me help you out. We go, oh, well, thanks for that, but here's why I do that. And here's what it's done, and my upbringing, and this, and then because I had this kind of boss, and this, and that's why I'm a jerk. And I fully justified it. It makes sense in my brain, and it's become truth. And the crazy thing is this. You can justify and believe a lie long enough, you'll believe, you'll genuinely believe it's true. You'll genuinely believe it's true. And then what happens is you are now holding to truth. 
And so when someone comes along, like a Christian, like a filthy Christian, and exposes this lie that is solid truth to you, well, now they're going to hate you for that. Because now you're not just showing them that they're believing a lie. You're telling them that the truth is a lie. And for that, I don't want you in my life. Do you see the difference? It's not just that you expose sin as the lie that it is. It's that you expose sin as, as not being the truth that they believe it is. And Jesus says, for this, they will hate you, just as they hated me. But take heart, for I will always be with you. Take heart, because the world may hate you, but you will always have a place in my Father's kingdom. Take heart. There is more to this life than what you see. When I was in high school, I was going to a charter school, and it was just starting up. So as a freshman, we were the highest class, and then sophomore highest and junior highest, and then it shut down what was going to be my senior year. So. Um, so yeah, so I went to Christian schools and then charter schools and then my senior year I went to a public school So I was a really well-adjusted socially cool kid at my senior senior year in high school. Anyway uh, By junior year I had had my group of friends our posse so to speak that I had gotten to know over the three years there and uh and they all, none of them were believers. They, they enjoyed all the things that teenagers enjoy between sex, drugs, and alcohol, and smoking, and all the stuff that I, as a good Christian youth group boy, knew was not a good thing to do. But I never rubbed, I never told them that they couldn't do it. I never told them they were evil for doing it. I never said, you're going to burn in hell if you smoke that joint. Um, I did call cigarettes sin sticks, but they laughed. And uh, so anyway... I, they, they didn't care. They just liked that I hung out with them, and I'd drink a Coke if I went over to someone's house, and they'd have whatever they're having. And then what happened is after I started hanging out with them enough, they started to sort of not like that I wasn't engaging in what they were engaging in. And it was sort of like, what's Bentley's problem? Is he too good for us? And so then that kind of became the thing, goody two-shoes. Oh, he's too cool for us, so he's not going to do that. What, you're too good to go do this with us? No, man, I've never said that. I've never condemned you for what you're doing. I'm just saying for me, this is what I'm doing, and this is why I'm doing it, because this is what I believe about who created the universe, and I believe he loves me, I believe my body's a temple, I believe the Holy Spirit resides in me, and I know that's weird to you, but that's what I believe. I don't, but you can do whatever you want to do, man. I'm still your friend, and, but it didn't matter, because just my presence bothered them. And that's the thing with light. You see, if you've ever been to a dark country, I mean a country where the devil reigns amongst the people, if you've ever been to a place that just does not have the light of Christ and you walk into it, you will see what it means to be the light of Christ. It's like you're a magnet and everyone can't help but turn and look because you are literally the shining light of Jesus Christ in a place where they're not used to seeing light. And so what happened in that group of friends was I got made fun of a lot. Uh, I got peer pressured a lot. I was able to make it through. I made it through my time there and never caved in and still have some of those friendships to this day. And, uh, but just my presence was enough to make them uncomfortable. They didn't like it because I wasn't engaging in something with them that they had convinced themselves was fine and was good. So I want you to see something here as we prepare to close out, and that's this, that when you make the claim, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, Right? 
When you make that claim, when you say those words, I want to show you what you're saying no to. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. In that simple statement, you're declaring that all other world religions and philosophies are wrong. Did you know that? You aren't saying, I don't know, which is, our, which is a big one that we love to do as Christians right now instead of having conflict. Oh, I'm not saying you're wrong. Yes, you are. Because Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father. I am the truth. I am the life. So when you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, you're saying that. That simple statement, you're agreeing with Peter that no, under, that no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved other than Christ. In that simple statement, you proclaim that Jesus, uh, to all, that Jesus uh, is the only one that we go to the Father by. And in this, what you're saying is, I'm not an atheist. I don't believe that God doesn't exist. I'm not an agnostic. I don't believe that uh, God doesn't care if I exist. I'm not an idolater. I don't worship wood or gold or stones. I don't worship my dead ancestors. I don't worship nature. I don't worship fire. When you say that you believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, you're saying, I'm not a polytheist. I don't believe there's multiple gods and he's one of them. You're not a pantheist that all things are God, that God is in the trees and the bushes and the sea and the animals. You're not a deist. You don't think that God created the world and never involved himself in it. You're not a uniformist. You're not a modernist. You're not an unbelieving Jew. You're not a futurist. You're not a theosophist. You are a Christian. When you say, I believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God, you are saying no to everything else I just mentioned. Isn't that a crazy thought? Did you ever think about it that way? Well, no, I was just saying yes to Christ and no to about a hundred other things. Because Christ did not leave room for the interpretation of those other things. He didn't leave room. He said, I am it. It's my way or the highway. This is it. No Buddha, no Muhammad. I believe, I accept, I have faith that Jesus, you are who you say you are. So if the fact that your very existence, because you say the name of Christ, and it's his name that is really exposing people's sin, and it's what exposed your sin, right? And so you had a response. You could either be somebody who hated Christ for exposing your sin and hated religion and all of that, or, or the Holy Spirit upheld in you the ability to look and repent and say, God, help me. That is who I am. Help me. Now, I said something super controversial there, and if you caught it, then we can talk about it later. If you didn't, then you should go and take Chad's theological class. The world will hate you. John 12, 42 through 43 said this, many among the leaders believed in him, but because, the Pharisees, because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. I would hate for that to be said about me when my life is over. That I valued the praise of men more than I valued the praise of God, so I kept my mouth shut, I kept my head down. I never defended the faith in love. I continued with my own prejudices quietly and silently to myself, and I just tried to get to heaven. That's a, that's a horrible life. God's called, called you to so much more of a life than that. He's called you to such an enormous adventure of following after him and knowing him and loving him. 
And so many Christians today in America are content with the scenario that I just gave. Either we're super conflict-oriented and we just spout stuff on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram that is just, oh my gosh, it embarrasses me to be called a Christian. You're like, stop doing that. Don't post that. What? I'm being bold. I'm doing what you said. No, you're not. You're unloving and unkind. And yes, you're taking a stand for something, but you're also saying, oh, by the way, you're going to burn in hell for not taking this stand. You're, okay, this is awesome. This just came to me. Facebook is the modern day guy on the street corner with a sign that says, turn or burn in hell. That's what Facebook, so many Facebook posts are, right? He's down there hitting his Bible on his hand, and he's like, you're all burning in hell. God hates the gays and the sinners and the drunkards, so stop being those things. That's what modern-day Christians sometimes we think is standing up for the gospel. No. No, that's not standing up for the gospel. Christ never called us into that. Christ called us into something much more special, something that you can't conjure up on your own, something you can't do apart from him. You can't even physically do it apart from him, which is to love your neighbor and to not take offense when they offend you. You hear me? Christians have no right and no place to be offended when the world comes against us in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to say that again because this is a blanket statement. Well, pastor, what about? No, no, no. There is no excuse. There is no reason. There is no time you should ever take offense. You see, when you take offense, you are taking upon yourself whatever, whatever vile poison that person is spewing out, and you're receiving it upon yourself, and you're saying, here, now I'm going to give back to you the same thing you gave me, but I'm doing it in righteous truth because I'm a Christian. No, you don't take offense. They, when the early Christians were put in the Colosseums and hung up on stakes and burned alive and beheaded in front of their families... They were broken, and they were hurting, and they were grieving. But it wasn't about taking an offense. If they were taking offense, they would have just renounced the name of Christ and silently been Christians, wouldn't have they? Think about it. Just renounce his name in front of them, and then go live your Christian life on your own. Have you ever thought about that? Did so many Christians have to die? Why didn't they just say what they needed to say in, say in, front, of the, in front of Caesar or whoever was the leader of the time, whatever emperor was the leader, and then when they go home, they'll praise Jesus all they want. It's so simple. That's sort of what we do. That's what we do. I'm not going to make waves. I'm like, okay, if you want me to believe that about you, I don't know enough to say no to it, so okay, that's good, and I'll praise Jesus on my own time. Just don't. Don't kick me out. I'm going to invite the band up because I'm way over time. Man, there's so much stuff. Here's, here's what I want to leave you with. This is this, this how, how. How do we do this? How do I stand for truth? How do I stand for truth when I'm being attacked? Versus how do I stand for truth in love when I'm being attacked? You see, I can disagree with somebody's lifestyle. I can disagree with what they're doing. I can disagree with what they call good. I can disagree with what they call love. The reason that we see so many Christians through social media and in our own circles not, ex not ex uh, display the love of Christ well while disagreeing 
is because we don't know how. We think it's an either or, right? Like if your son or daughter comes to you with a lifestyle that you don't agree in and you say, well, what in the world do we do? I don't know, love them. What if they came to you and said, I'm deciding I'm gonna be overweight the whole, my whole life and eat cheeseburgers and you're a health conscious person. Would you still love them? Yeah, you disagree with their choices, but you love them. Now there's a difference when they come in and they say, I want you to agree with me now. You see that? And you say, here's the deal. I love you, and I will always love you, and I will continue to love you, but I don't agree with your stance on that. Here's why, right? Here's why. Not just, don't say the Bible says so. Learn, educate yourself, study, and then say, but I love you, and that doesn't change our relationship just because I don't agree with you. Now, they're going to say, maybe, oh, yes, it does, and maybe you've already experienced this in your life with whatever's gone on with people. If you don't agree with me, then you don't love me. And friends, friends, that couldn't be more American than apple pie. If you don't agree with me, you don't love me. That is, that is a new cultural narrative. Just like I said, you say a lie long enough, people believe it. We've been saying that lie for about three decades now. If you don't agree with me, you don't love me. And now there's a generation that believes that that's truth that I cannot believe in the way you view something and not be able to love you and show kindness to you and serve you. Are you hearing me today? Because this is almost completely gone from the church. This thought process, this idea that you will be hated, it's coming. And I don't want to scare you, but it's coming. The time is coming when coming to church will have to be a decision that you make as if you're going to get up and go to a public place like this and worship Christ in America. Do you think this place will be this full when that time comes, when it is against the law to publicly meet in America and worship the name of Jesus? Would you still get up and come to church? It's a great question, and it's one that Although it doesn't, it's not warm and fuzzy, it should make us stop and think. Do you find it difficult to love people who oppose you and oppose Jesus? You know, John Calvin, the author of Calvinism and modern thinking in the Reformed Church, and then even Martin Luther, uh, Calvin especially, was a known anti-Semite, hated the Jews even called for their execution by the Christians if they had a chance. And so, while he did reform the church and has some wonderful teachings, there was a part of his life that he just left and kept to himself, where he hated these people because they hated God, and so he hated them. Let God transform you there. Let him transform you. You know who he's mostly speaking to here? to his disciples. He's speaking to them about the other religious leaders, not the people in the world. Did you know that? He's saying, look, they're going to hate you. The world will hate you, but so will these religious people because they believe they have the truth and you're coming in and you're saying, no, this is the truth and they're going to hate you for that. You want to know something cool? When, when I left Valley Academy the last year, I gave my yearbook to my friends and said, hey, would you guys all sign this and then just give it back to me? And 
they did, and I got home from the last day of school, and I read that yearbook, and four of the eight people that I hung out with a lot wrote, I don't know how you lasted so long or held to what you said you would do, but mad respect, or I'm really proud, or I couldn't have done that, but that's cool that you stand for something. You see, if you continue to shine the light in the darkness long enough, the light will overtake the darkness completely. So I encourage you this morning, whether you're being made fun of, whether you're finding opposition at the workplace, you're finding opposition in your marriage, you're finding opposition with your kids, you're finding opposition with your neighbors or your friends, and, and it's, it's beginning to drive a wedge between you. There's only going to be a wedge there on your side if you let there be a wedge. Now, you can't control them and what they do, but you can take what the Lord said here today and remember John 16, 1, do not go astray. I'm showing you these things so when, when the hatred comes, when the offense comes, you're not shocked by it. You go, oh yeah, Jesus told us this would happen. And he told us that his spirit would strengthen us and let us go on. So let's pray. Father, as we come to this time in communion and we come to your table, we take a moment and we lay this before you. I lay this before you. I lay my own prejudices and, and hang-ups and offenses at your feet once again, God. And listen, God's not going to magically dissolve those things, but if you come before him every day and you say, Lord, I wish to be purified and honor you in this area of my life, guess what? He is going to change that area. Lord, I want to know how to love people who completely disagree with me. I want to know what to do and what to say. I hate conflict, but God, I love you more than the praises of men. And so there's going to be times I need to stand up for why I'm doing something. And I need to do it in a way that is loving. Help me know how to do that. says that in order to love somebody, I have to accept everything they say is truth and call it my own truth. But God, you say that you're the only truth. And so, Lord, I stand by you. Help me to understand what to do. God will show you. His Spirit will show you if you seek him. Father, I pray a blessing now over the bread and the juice. That when you sat with your disciples and you broke bread and drank of the cup with them, your idea was that whenever we would gather back together, whenever we would come from our positions in the world into a, a gathering of believers, that we would partake of the bread and the juice once again, your body and your blood, and that we would be reminded, Lord, of where our strength comes from, our redemption and that you have overcome sin and death Lord through the act of the cross burial and resurrection so we partake of this now in the name of Jesus Amen we've got three communion stations up front and three in the back if you have a relationship with Christ we invite you to come forward there's two cups stacked on top of each other go to the one closest to you, go back to your seat and partake, and then we're going to close in worship together. If you want to pray with somebody and you just want to take a moment and pray, we've got prayer partners up front on either sides. 
You can go off to the side. You can do whatever you want. But if you'd like to pray, don't pass up on that opportunity.